You're listening to Fuel Radio, inspiration and training to fuel your day. Now here's your host, Rod Jans. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fuel Radio. On the line with me today is Erin Wathen. She is a holistic health coach, a food, ab- a, <laughs> a food abuse counselor, say that three times fast, and the inspiring author of Why Can't I Stick to My Diet? How to End the, the Food Drama. Her philosophy, simply put, health isn't a, number, isn't a number on the scale or how often we exercise, but our lives as a whole. Thanks for joining me today, Erin. Thank you for having me. Great. And, and looking through your bio, I know that you have your own uh, story, your own health journey. I guess we all do. And I'm just wondering if you could take us back. I know that you have, you're, you're well-educated in this area, and, um, but uh, it sounds like you are just like everybody else, that you, you've had your own, uh, your own journey, like I say, and some struggles along the way. Maybe you could just tell us about your own health journey to, to, to kick things off. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like a lot of people, you know, I grew up back in the days of Fat Free and Jane Fonda and how we used to think one way of eating was the best and now we know it's different. But in the meantime, I was a kid growing up in California where it was all about skinny was the best thing ever. And I didn't really understand that fat-free and sugar was not going to work. And I drank gallons of Diet Coke, but I was always an athlete. So it didn't really make sense to me like why I didn't look like I thought I should look because I exercised so much or I was on a team or eventually I started teaching group exercise. And it wasn't until I got really into nutrition that I realized, well, I'm consuming like enough sugar to like feed an entire kindergarten class that that was the missing piece was it isn't calories in calories out. It isn't, you can eat all the points or the whatever's, or you can just, you know, burn it off later. It actually does really matter. Like the quality of your food and everything that your grandparents used to tell you about, you know, your teeth rotting or whatever is actually relevant. (laughs) So the basic core fundamentals of nutrition that a lot of us were told like the square meal stuff isn't necessarily what we know now to be true but as far as the basics of like vegetables and fruit and water and not eating between meals and all these sort of like classic ideas I like to refer to them as are what so many of us have strayed from and interestingly enough that's why so many people are so overweight in America I did a talk a couple months ago and I didn't really know what I was going to do it on. I was like kind of like stumped <laughs> the night before, like, you know, and you commit to something and you're like, what am I going to talk about? And so I'm like, well, I'll just talk about like the changes of health in my lifetime. Right. Okay. So I got all these statistics and reports and I realized that when I was born in the seventies, obesity in America was at 7%. I mean, it's really low, right? And now it's like high 60s. Okay, so what is that about? A lot of people will give you a lot of reasons. They'll tell you it's because of food portions. They'll, they'll blame subsidies. They'll blame McDonald's. They'll blame Monsanto or whatever. But I also think a lot of it is because we have this idea we need to eat all the time. And that there needs to be candy when we get 
paper products. <laughs> there needs to be, you know, huge amounts of food everywhere we go all the time. And that every time of day is a chance to eat. So the more educated I got on education and nutrition and how our body really does need to eat, it all kind of came together. And then I got more training and it all just one thing led to another. So then I'm talking to you today. <laughs> Was I can really relate to your story. Uh, and in a sense, it worked for me for a long time, like being quite active and athletic. And I have a kinesiology degree, so I kind of feel like, oh, I should know better. But that's, totally. that's just all about exercise. There's a little bit of nutrition mixed in there, but not very much. And, um, you know, up until I was about 30, I could just always just, I, I would just, I, I usually had a, a, a fitness goal for that year, some sort of race or something. And I might put some pounds on during Christmas, but then I would just exercise it off. And it, it wasn't until just, you know, relatively recently, I would say within the last five years that my eyes really opened up to, to sugar and carbs as well. You know, like sugar is just, uh, it, it, it's, it's insidious. It's in so many, so much of the things that we eat. But before you comment on that, I want to get to that. But did you sort of have a pivotal moment yourself in your own, in your own journey? Or was it sort of a gradual realization that, uh, that your nutrition had to change? It was gradual. It was a lot of me asking my husband the, the biggest trap question of why do I look fat in this too many times? You know, <laughs> um, me wanting not to go to things because I felt chunky, like a lot of little moments. I mean, I had candy hidden everywhere in our, in our house, in our car, you know, just, I would tell the kids it's not good to eat between meals, but yet I was constantly like, there's a lot of just food related internal conversation so like drama is a really good word i used to call it it's like there was like a white noise machine in my head all the time of like what i was eating what i was going to eat could i burn it off could i be skinny by friday like all this sort of ongoing internal conflict conversation just suffering about food and weight when there is such an easier way to live but I didn't even know it. I thought this was just how it had to be. And if only I found the right diet, if only I found the right exercise, like maybe it was Pilates. So then I got really into Pilates, ended up teaching it and realized well, Pilates is great and all, but it's, it's not the magic. And everything wasn't the magic until I realized I had to stop eating like a crazy person. <laughs> Ta -da, that, that's the big secret. Yeah, I know. So, um, so I do think a lot of us, you know, your story is very, very, very common from men because something worked for a long time and then it didn't. What usually happens is they hit 30 or they don't have the time they used to have or they tear their ACL and they gain 20 pounds. They're like, what happened? I, what, where did, what, what, what happened? You're like, well, because you had gotten these habits and you don't have the time and the energy or the whatever to work out like you used to, but your eating habits are the same. And in a lot of ways too, we forget that we're not that far away from kind of evolution in that we're made to, you know, store calories for like famines and stuff. Well, our body doesn't know that there's not a famine coming because there's, you know, junk food everywhere. They don't, it doesn't know that. <laughs> Yeah. No famine coming at my house, you know. <laughs> 
for you, it sounds like some of it was mindset too. Like it, it sounds like you, did you have to change some of your thinking? Because you said to me, my, my journey is quite typical for men. It sounds like for you, and I know from my spouse, who's actually a, a diet coach, a lot of it is, is mindset and what's going on in, in her head and comparison and, and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, we'll, we'll get to tactics and, and what to eat and that sort of thing in a moment. But what about what was going on in, in, in terms of uh, mindset, your own attitude, and, and talk a little bit about the psych- psychological side of things. Sure. No, for me, all roads led to food. So like my kids were annoying. That meant I needed to eat something. Um, if there was a snow day and it was inconveniencing me, like where's the tub of frosting? Uh, my husband's so annoying. Where's the ice cream? Like, you know, all roads led to sugar. And some people are salty people. Some people love this. I was more like high fructose corn syrup. I mean, I would eat ice cream in a pinch. It wasn't my favorite. I was more like licorice, Swedish fish, like give me the, give me the heroin of candy. Give me the heroin of sugar, right? The cheap stuff, please. That's also great. So that was my go-to. But the thing was, is like, I didn't even know at the time that there were choices being made and like lightning speed that got me to the food. Like I had, an, I had a, something, there's a circumstance or something happened, right? There was traffic. There was a snow day. There was my husband saying words put together in a sentence that I chose to react to, which was a choice that I chose to give meaning to, also a choice that I chose to somehow misplace a physical sensation of hunger, have it like cross paths almost to the emotion and then go eat something. Because like emotions and food really are kind of like parallel in our lives that they should be. But what's interesting now that I'm not in that mental place anymore, that, that, that mindset, is when we're little, they get crossed so early, right? So it's your birthday, we made you a cake. Yay, you, we're gonna blow out the candles. Yay, it's you know, Christmas cookies, you know, holiday ham. Like there's so many of these connections. So we're celebrating with food. All right, ideally that's not a problem. And then on the other side, people that get really excited about food. You know, they talk about what they ate on vacation or they can't wait to eat such and such. So food, emotions, emotions, food. But then when we're stressed, so many of us are like, where are the carbs? Where's the this? Where's the that? Well, those are habits in our brain that we've made very well, but very well-worn path. Like, you know, A plus B equals C. Like stress, (laughs) you know, stress plus, you know, stimulus equals food. Like food solves it. Let's go to food. Let's go to food. Instead of just sitting with the feeling or realizing that like, Maybe my husband didn't mean to be the biggest jerk on the planet when he said that. Is this possible? Or maybe I can, you know, journal or call a friend or, you know, buy a pair of shoes online instead of eating ice cream. But mentally, I was just so used to like going to that thing or just eating it preemptively, just just in case anything bad happened later, I'm going to eat sugar now. So it just becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy where when you're eating a lot of sugar, there keeps coming this 
lull of your blood sugar drops and you have a choice, do you let it drop, your head hurts, you know, a lot of some chemical things happen in your brain and your body, do you let that happen? Because then you're going to feel horrible and then you're definitely going to have some emotions connected to that. Or do you re-up? Do you find more sugar? And so many of us never let it get that, get that way because our whole day is sugar. And some people start with coffee and they end with wine. Like, I mean, it's just, they don't even know it. They think, well, wine, wine's different. Like, uh, wine is sugar. So if we start with coffee with, yeah, start with coffee with sugar and then just the entire day is sugar. And in the morning, we're like, where's the coffee? We think it's coffee and it could be the caffeine. It could also be the frappa, whatever stuff we put in it. So it's very easy to get in this place where we don't even know it's a mindset. It's just a habit. It's harmless. Look at the cute red cup, whatever, whatever. So yeah, there had to be a lot of mindset work for me to realize that like, first of all, not everything my husband says is always wrong. I mean, there is a possible chance that he's not always wrong, but that my food and emotions were so like intertwined from such a young age and I needed to separate those suckers or else I need, or else I was never going to get any, um, like peace basically. Yeah. I, I like that. I, I like where you're, what you're saying. And, and so much of it has, to, I've done some addiction work and, um, you know, I realized that so much of it is just dealing with our emotions and our feelings, right? It's not just thinking <laughs> you can't necessarily think your way into better eating habits. I think at the same time, you need to learn to deal with your feelings as well. And, and I like what you say about you got, you got to find a way to pause or have some sort of gap in between the feeling and going for the food. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah. And the crazy thing is, is like all these, these decisions can be made from the time it takes you to walk across the room and open up the fridge. That's yeah, how quickly that you can, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can decide, you know, you go from like stimulus to idea to action. <laughs> you know, When, if you were to write it out, like it would take you longer to type that whole thing out than it would for you to walk across your house. But we're so used to it that it's just how it is. And then also we're so numb to our environment and you know what's around us. And like I said earlier with like, you know, why are there can why, why are there buckets of candy when you go to buy paper supplies or, you know, bed, bath and beyond has like, you know, tons and tons of junk food. I'm like, if you're going to get new sheets, why do you need to see five pound bags of licorice? Well, the answer is people are buying them or else they'd stop carrying them. And that's how marketing and like, the economy works. So someone's buying the licorice when they're getting their sheets and their pillows and their cheese graters. So there are, they are being sold or else they'd stop trying to sell the licorice. So we are buying this stuff because it keeps getting replenished. So our environments are really just, just really clouded with all these really crazy foods. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love the title of your book. What do you yeah. think is the, <laughs> what's the most common excuse you hear or what do you think is the most common thing why people can't stick to, let's not even call it a diet. Why, I like that you, you kind of change the term, don't you? You have a food plan. Is that more of what you what you talk about is that part of your solution is to have a food plan rather than a, than a diet? Well, the thing with a diet is 
a, a good way to explain it is it's like a Ferris wheel. You go on it with the intention of going off, right? So, so many of us, we're going to go on a diet for the high school reunion, for the wedding, for the vacation. So if we starve ourselves for a month, we won't feel self-conscious on the beach, right? We never intend to actually get to the root problem of why we gained the weight in the first place. I mean, please, like, why would you want to do that? We're going to, you know, drink the sludge or do whatever is in style that week not or that month, not give any thought to what got us here, look good for the 20 minutes of the wedding or the vacation or whatever that short-term goal is, and then get back to how we want to be. Or worse, this used to be the thinking when I was more like a teenager, early 20s, was we're going to get down to the magic weight, then we can eat how we've always wanted to eat. That used to be the thinking. Like, when I get down to 120, then I can finally eat fettuccine Alfredo. It's like, why would that possibly work? But I remember people always used to say that, used to work at Weight Watchers, and I would hear that constantly. It's like, why on earth could you lose 60 pounds and then eat what you want? Like, your body is going to adapt, and then why would you want it still? But that's what everybody thinks is going to happen in the land of magical unicorns, right? <laughs> so the thing is, we don't go on a diet with the intention of ever doing any of the real work. It's all this surface level stuff. That's why, like the shakes and the detoxes and the resets and the commercial weight loss programs are so popular because I never get to like, okay, so why did you eat when your mother called? What do you mean? So what about your mother makes you feel the need to eat? Well, nothing. I love my mother. No, no, no. Your mom called and then you ate a bag of Oreos. Well, yeah why? What do you mean? I said, okay, there was a choice to be made and you chose to eat a bag of Oreos, right? Yeah. Okay. So what's that about? I like Oreos. I'm like, no, you don't. No one likes Oreos enough to eat 20 servings of Oreos. So what is that about? So that's the real key is like, what are the Oreos about? So in one way, we have to get rid of all of those things from our environment, like the Oreos, the junk, the licorice, but we also have to be willing to get to the kind of really icky stuff of what's behind the Oreos. And the irony is if we are really interested in doing this, like kind of like structural work, we don't have to do it every New Year's. We don't have to do it before every vacation. We just are living like, the, so the food plan concept is we're just living our life eating normally. I'll use this as an example. So we just had our American Thanksgiving, as you call it, and the week before, there was this horrible snowstorm where I live, and I was stuck in it for four hours, and it was, it was totally crabby, and so I said to my husband, let's go to the Bahamas instead of sticking around New York City where I live, and he, okay, great. So I found flights, I found a hotel, within like two days, it all came together, and it wasn't until I got to the airport and I realized I had zero angst about how I was going to look in a bathing suit. That could have never happened years ago. I would need like a month to prepare. I just like put my stuff in the bag and we went. I was more concerned about my dog. Is my dog going to be okay? But that's such an interesting thing to not even have those thoughts and then be aware of not having those thoughts. It's very freeing to be on the other side of it. 
Yeah, that's cool. And it wasn't like a, you didn't have to work at it. Like, oh, I'm not going to worry about what I'm going to look like in a bathing suit. It just, it just dawned on you that you, you weren't worrying about it. You, you transitioned to that, that place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That's cool. I love the Bahamas, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So uh, you did mention the holidays <laughs> coming up. W- one thing I thought of while you were talking too is that it's kind of you, you mentioned the whole. I love the I love your example of the Ferris wheel. It's it's kind of. Uh, do you find it helps to make more of a commitment? Like I'm going to make this. This maybe sounds too daunting for some people, but I'm going to make this commitment for life. Like I'm just going to make this change for the rest of my life. It's not like I'm going to go back to such and such. It's, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's more of a commitment to health, a healthy lifestyle. From what my experience is, if you get up on January 2nd and you say, I'm never, ever going to eat white flour again or whatever, right? That probably won't work. (laughs) If you say, I'm going to lay off the flour this week. And then on Sunday you recommit, like your brain will have a better way to like absorb it. Your body will probably be detoxed by that Sunday. But if you go on social media and you make this big proclamation, you tell everybody at work, it's, it's kind of a slippery slope, right? But if you say for today and then you get enough todays lined up, you eventually have a week, right? And then knowing you can always go back to it. I mean, some of us, it depends on how we're sort of set up, like characterologically, right? Where some of us are like, that's it, I'm done. Other people need to know it's always available for them. And it always is. Like, that's the thing. It's like, okay, you don't eat Oreos for six months. I guarantee you Nabisco is still churning them out somewhere. They're not going to stop making Oreos just because Aaron decides to stop eating them. They're going to make them somewhere. And they probably have like mint in them or pumpkin or whatever season we're in. So you deciding I'm going to lay off the Oreos for a while does not mean that Oreos are going to go out of business. So knowing that these foods are going to be available if and when you want to go back to them is something that you might be able to wrap your brain around. Like everyone is different. Like everyone needs a a thought that they can hold on to. Like your thought might be different than my thought. So for me, it's like I needed to put my health first. I needed to have this whole chaos stop. Because for so long, it's like, if only I weigh this magic number, if only I weigh this magic number, life would be so great. And then it had to be, I just need this whole thing to stop. I needed like the constant, you know, the white noise, as I call it, in my book. And then when that stopped, I eventually got to this magic number. So it's so interesting, like, but when I was chasing the number, that's when I was you know, torturing myself. So if we can just focus on our health, then our weight will follow. So oftentimes with my clients are like, well, when am I going to lose weight? I'm like, can we just get you off of sugar, please? Because they don't think or believe that sugar is the problem. They just want to lose weight. I'm like, weight is a byproduct of how much sugar you are inhaling every day. (laughs) So let's get you off of the sugar. Let's get you off of the flour. And I guarantee your weight will drop. But let's get you off of that first and stop weighing yourself in the meantime, because that's only going to make things harder so everyone has a different sort of thought they need to hold on to. It just depends on who you are. But big proclamations don't always work. Like the New Year's resolution um, example, like most of them are broken by February 8th, I think was the statistic I read somewhere last year. There's a lot of reasons why. Mostly because people don't have support. They're unrealistic. 
they don't have short-term goals. So like, I'm going to give up flour for this week. And then this week becomes two weeks and then two weeks. So sort of having those, like, you know, you're eventually you're stringing them together and then you have a month. So those things, and also being being aware and available to read the research to understand, like it takes a long time to detox from these chemicals and they are chemicals. There is a lot happening with your like dopamine or dopamine um, sensors or the pleasure sensors in your brain when we eat a lot of flour and sugar. So when we decide we're not going to eat those, your body's going to not be very happy, but don't think you're rebelling against your body. It's those chemicals jonesing to be replenished. You'll be fine. You'll totally be fine. Yeah. Good stuff. And, uh, I love the things that we've touched on today. Uh, just, I'm wondering if you could give us some tips on on handling stress. We've talked a lot about the psychology of it. So, yeah, I like to ask my guests for some some tips. So, do you, how can we deal with? I, I think just by opening up the subject and talking about holiday stress, we'll probably it probably will cover off stress in general, stress and eating. So, yeah, if you wouldn't mind just giving us uh, a few tips on how to how to deal with stress and how it relates to nutrition. Well, holiday stress is its own particular beast because so many of us, and I'm going to use women in particular, we just decide it's a stressful time of year. We just decide. I mean, we just tell ourselves and you men, people, and everyone else that will listen how stressed out we are and how horrible it is. And we're such martyrs. So in that case, pass the cookies, right? So... We don't even know that we're choosing to accept this idea, right? So what if we chose to not think that? What if we chose to think the holidays are fun and maybe we didn't take on as much stuff this year? Maybe we didn't send out 500 Christmas cards or maybe we decided our kids didn't need as much stuff or maybe we didn't say yes to every invitation. So there is a way to manage that stuff and maybe we, you know, had half of the dinners outsourced. I mean, does it really matter if we, you know, (laughs) got some catering trays for Christmas Eve, like whatever. So there are some things that can be eliminated or readdressed, but as far as stress in general, a lot of it is a term we choose to assign to things. Like if you tell yourself you're stressed, you're more stressed. And in our bodies, when we're pumping out cortisol, which is a stress hormone, we're more likely to feel stressed. And the more cortisol we're pumping, the more likely we are to gain weight, the more likely we are to gain weight around our abs, yay us, more likely we are to get horrible sleep. And the less sleep you get, the more likely you are to gain weight. I mean, it's just a whole mess. So if we can take a minute, reassess what we've gotten ourselves into, because sometimes we've said, Yes, way more than we should have. Okay, maybe we need to back out of some stuff. Or maybe we need to just reprioritize. I don't, everyone's different. But I do know that telling yourself you're stressed out constantly does not help anything. So going into the holidays, the way that I always look at it and I tell my clients is if you know you're heading into a very sort of challenging time, like your in-laws or your kids or whatever, you got to eat like an athlete. You got to treat your body like you're going to the Olympics, right? So you're going to get a lot of sleep. You're going to eat 
vegetables and real food. You're going to drink water. You're going to meditate or chill out. So you're not going to be living off of caffeine, sugar, zero sleep, and screaming at everybody. <laughs> the worst things in the world if you want to like have your game face on. So there are things we can do that make stress less and make stress more. And nine times out of 10, our choices over the holidays, we just take the volume and increase it tenfold with our diet, which is usually sugar, our stress management, which is atrocious. We're not getting enough sleep because we're staying up late, you know, looking at stuff on the internet, too many parties, whatever, whatever. And we're, we're always telling ourselves how stressed we are. We're not getting any exercise anymore because we say we don't have time. Well, maybe those 20 minutes you spent, you know, cruising around some website when you, let's face it, you just were cruising around a website. You could have spent going for a walk or stretching or, or something other than choosing to fart around like on the Amazon website. Like, I mean, let's just face it. So a lot of the things we do when we tell ourselves we're stressed, make ourselves more stressed. And then we all sit around with our friends and whine about who's more stressed. Well, okay, you win. So it can, it can definitely, we can be our own worst enemy when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, that's good though. But I can see how if you do those things, like I know, you know, if you go and exercise, you go for a walk, that's going to reduce your stress. So just doing those things is going to reduce your stress to begin with. So, and, and so in a way I, you're saying, you know, prepare, I, I love that, like prepare like an athlete, prepare, know that it is going to be a stressful time, but don't tell yourself it's going to be stressful and then do some things that will help you to, to reduce your stress going into it. Well, it could be a stressful time. That's the thing is it could be. Yeah. So let's, you know, let's be proactive, not reactive. You know, like the kids are home and all those sort of like factors are happening. Okay, so let's think of things ahead of time versus yelling at them for being home from school. Oh, okay, <laughs> you're yelling at them for being home from school. Like, what do you want them to do? Like, go to work? Like, they don't have anywhere else to go. They're children. So like, a lot of crazy stuff happens over the holidays because we have all these expectations and there's like time and then there's in-laws and then there's like, you know, whatever, like what we expect or so we have. And the last thing we need to do is not be getting enough sleep for the four weeks leading up to it. Yeah. You, you've mentioned clients a few times. I love hearing client stories. I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing when somebody who you've worked with and has, has gotten some good results. Oh yeah, sure. Um, one of my first clients, she was someone that had like a 22-year-old and had not lost her baby weight. And she was one of my first clients. I needed just people that would try out my food plan because when you're developing a food plan, you have to have like certain volunteers, basically. You're like, okay, you guys are going to eat four times a day and you guys are going to eat three times a day. And you get back to me in a week. And the four times a day people no one lost any weight. And three times a day, people, they all lost like half a pound. Like, okay, we're, you guys stick with the three times a day. Four times a day, people, I'm taking away your snack. They're like, what? I'm like, you'll be fine. So she was one of my original people. So over the last, I think it's like a year and a half now, she's lost like 60 pounds. And her husband keeps getting asked at church what happened to his wife. <laughs> they don't recognize her anymore. Oh, wow. And so now her husband, because she was saying to me, like, her, 
that her husband, you know, was eating junk food and he hadn't changed his ways. And I was like, don't say a word to him. She's like, but I, I get so frustrated and I hate the smell of little Debbie snack cakes. And I'm like, I agree. It's gross. Don't talk to him about it. She's like, what do you mean? I said, you couldn't say so much more if you say nothing versus making it an issue. I said, just say nothing. And then I think all the compliments she's getting and then people keep asking him like, who's the new woman? And it's his wife of, you know, 25 years. Now he's on, now he's reading my food plan and following it. So the impact you can make, you know, being in health is really fascinating because, you know, when you're writing a book in the middle of the night and you think no one's ever going to read it and your kids are mad at you because you're not going to the beach with them on a family vacation or whatever. And then you find out that, you know, someone's husband's, you know, actually like, gotten his weight below 200 for the first time since he was like a teenager you're like wow that was totally like amazing that happened so those sort of things are very meaningful in that not only did she you know stop needing all the anti-inflammatory medication she used to be on and she down to like a weight she wants to stay and she's easily maintaining it she also didn't like nag her husband like she really wanted to <laughs> so sometimes people think they're just getting coached on health and it usually ends up like with life because how did they get there how did they gain weight because something was life was happening right life is always that that piece that people are usually missing so like with my own husband who doesn't eat nearly as well as people think he does they're always like is your husband like a super athlete i'm like no but he has done tons and tons of changes throughout the years i just don't say anything about it because, I mean, why? I know, like, it doesn't help. It doesn't motivate him. But sometimes the best way you can set an example is by just setting the example. So that just comes to mind because I'm talking to her like in an hour or so. <laughs> that's great. I'll quote you on that. Sometimes the best way to set the example is by setting the example. That's, that's awesome. Versus, like, <laughs> nagging or, like, throwing everything out in your house. Because yeah. that's the thing is, yeah. too, is, like, if you, like, because one time, I remember I threw away my husband's like comfort food. Just I just he came home from work. He's like, "Where's you know my whatever?" And I'm like, "Oh, we eat, we don't eat that anymore." And he, I mean, not a good day. <laughs> <laughs> so our guest has been Erin Wathen. Uh, she's the author of "Why Can't I Stick to My Diet: How to End the Food Drama." And Aaron, if people want to find out more and get in touch with you and, and get a hold of the book, I, I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to get a copy of it after our interview here. Where can people get in touch with you and find the book? Well, my website is Aaron Wathen Wellness. It's, you know, you can also, same handle on Instagram or Facebook. Great. So we're, we're talking uh, probably by the time this comes out, we'll be, it'll be pretty close. That, oh, cool. Okay, cool. That the, uh, that the book will be available. So thank you, Erin. You, you don't know this, but with Fuel Radio, we're sort of changing our format and fo focusing on body, mind, and soul. I've done the interviews on the, on the soul before, but I've never really talked to anybody about uh, nutrition and, and the body part of the formula. So uh, I appreciate you coming on and being one of our, our first guests to talk about, about Surprise. nutrition. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> no, good, good and great stuff. I love, I love where you're coming from. So yeah, I hope people will, will get a hold of your book and, and, and uh, get in touch with you and find out more. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You've been listening to Fuel Radio.